We are lost, guilty, helpless sinners by nature, and we need a substitute. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. 1 Peter 3, verse 18. What is substitution? Can the believer say, Christ died for my sins? Today on the Bible Truth Podcast, Bill Pross will give an overview of substitution, the second aspect of the work of Christ on the cross. If you have any questions on this topic or on what we have covered in the past, please contact us at info at bibletruthpodcast.com. Well, welcome back to the Bible Truth Podcast. And today we are taking up the second aspect of the work of Christ on the cross that we call substitution. So, Brother Bill, whenever you're ready, please go ahead and get us started. Thank you very much, Josh. On the previous podcast that we did, we spoke about propitiation. And we pointed out that propitiation was Godward and that it satisfied the claims of God's holy nature. When man brought sin into this world, it was not merely that man was sinful and brought upon himself the effects of sin, but we have to look at it from God's side, as we mentioned previously. God's holy nature was outraged, his creation was spoiled, and if we could use the term, God's nature was insulted by sin having been brought into this world and ultimately into the universe. God's side had to be addressed first at the cross, and that was done by the Lord Jesus Christ when he offered himself as a sacrifice for sin. His work was so fully satisfying to God that God raised him from the dead, and the effect of that work is now that we can go out to all the world and tell everyone, Christ died for you. All may come and be saved through the finished work of Christ. However, there is also our side of the situation because while God may be propitiated and the wrong done to his holy nature may be dealt with by the work on the cross, where does that leave you and me? We are lost, guilty, helpless sinners by nature, and we need a substitute. No man in this world could possibly have been a substitute for another, because we are all sinners by nature. We needed a substitute who was sinless. And so that was provided by God's beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It is very well illustrated by a scripture in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. For he has made him, the Lord Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The word substitution does not actually occur in the Bible, but there are plenty of scriptures that illustrate the truth of it. Yes, Bill, I was thinking of a, a few of those uh, scriptures that maybe I could just bring out briefly. In Galatians 2 and verse 20, Paul says, The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And each one of us can put our name in there. That the Son of God gave himself for me. And another one in uh, Peter's first epistle Peter says in 1 Peter 3, verse 18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Uh, you, could, you could say it this way, Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just in the place of the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And that, I think, brings out substitution, that he... The just one suffered in my place and took the consequences of my sins in order to bring me to God. Thank you very much, Josh. Those are lovely scriptures, and they really illustrate the precious truth of Christ's being my substitute. It's interesting, too, to notice that Substitution is actually mentioned a number of times in the Old Testament. In fact, it is mentioned, for example, in Isaiah 53. He was bruised for our iniquities, and so on. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed, and so on. But there is an excellent illustration of both propitiation and substitution in the book of Leviticus, where the various sacrifices that Israel was told to do are brought before us. We won't turn to it, but I will leave it for those who are listening to this to turn to the scripture. It's found in Leviticus chapter 16, where the great day of atonement is mentioned. It was one of the so-called feasts of Jehovah, and it had to be done every year in order to, on the one hand, satisfy the claims of Jehovah, and on the other hand, to put away the sins of the people. If you start in Leviticus 16 at verse 7, We'll try and keep it simple because there are other things in that chapter that we don't need to concern ourselves with right now. But if we start from verse 7 and read down, say, to the end of verse 22, we find that there were two goats that were to be offered. The first goat was killed and his blood was brought into the holy place and sprinkled there on the mercy seat. But that blood was also sprinkled on the altar 
and it was sprinkled in other places. The tabernacle had to be cleansed. The altar had to be cleansed. Everything had to be cleansed because all had been spoiled by sin. And what happened when that was done? God's holy nature was satisfied. His claims had been fully met by the death and blood sprinkling of that goat. That is propitiation. That is God's side of the cross. And that comes first. Very, very important. But then we find afterward that Aaron was to take the live goat that remained, put both his hands on the head of that goat, and confess on the head of that goat all the sins of the children of Israel. Those sins were not merely transgressions of the law, that is, direct disobedience to a known command, but it also mentions iniquity, which is really the exercise of an independent will. Everything to do with Israel's sin was confessed on the head of that goat. Now, we want to make one remark here. The whole nation of Israel in those days was looked upon as a redeemed people, and therefore the sins of all Israel were confessed on the head of that goat. We'll get back to that later, but don't forget that. Then a fit man was to take that goat and lead it out into the wilderness and let it go. And as far as the Israelites were concerned, they never saw it again. What happened to that goat is not important. Whether it was taken and found by someone else, whether a wild beast caught it and ate it, uh, it doesn't say. That is not important. The point is that in the, in the live goat, Israel saw all their sins taken away and gone forever. Was it really forever? No, it had to be repeated the next year. But for you and for me, the work of Christ is forever. Does that mean then that everyone in this world is saved? No, that is not what scripture teaches. It talks about propitiation being for the whole world. And so the Lord Jesus, it tells us, gave his life a ransom for all. But it also tells us, and we won't bother turning to the scriptures, we referred to them last time. It also tells us he gave his life a ransom for many, or he was going to give his life a ransom for many, and so on. Even in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, that we mentioned earlier, it says in the last verse, verse 12, he bare the sin of many. What does that mean? It means that if you come to the Lord Jesus and accept him as your savior, you become one of the many. But what about those who do not come? Did God put their sins on the head of the Lord Jesus? No, no. It was not like that scapegoat for Israel because while Israel were looked upon as a redeemed people, all in this world 
are not redeemed, sadly. The way is open for all, but the sins of those that believe are the only ones that have been put away by the work of Christ. It's important to recognize that. You and I would say that is a little difficult to understand. And I admit that it is because it brings in the whole question of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And ultimately, that, if we could call it a dilemma, is totally unable to be reconciled in the human mind. We are not going to get into that tonight. The point is that substitution is for those who come to Christ. Let us remember that. And so let us not preach the gospel and say, Christ has put away your sins and all you need to do is come. That is not strictly correct. What is correct is to say, Christ died for you. God's claims have been satisfied. And now God comes out to you with open arms, calling whosoever will to come and be saved. That is correct. After we are saved, we learn that God chose us in Christ long before the foundation of the world. Again, we don't go down that road tonight. We'll maybe talk about that another time. So there is the truth of substitution. You and I, if we are truly saved, can look at the Lord Jesus Christ and say, that one, the Lord Jesus, bore my sins on Calvary's cross. He took my place. He is my Savior. There's a verse in Romans 3 that I think brings out the effect of th these two aspects. Romans 3.22, it says, um, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. So the fact, as you've mentioned, Bill, that that first aspect that we talked about, that God has been satisfied, that God has been propitiated, means that the gospel goes to all. It's unto all. But it's only upon all them that believe. And that's because the substitutionary atonement that Christ wrought on that cross is for those who believe. So it's really interesting to see those two things together, in a sense, in one verse. It's interesting, in Leviticus 16, the Lord tells Moses that Aaron should take two goats, that those two goats were a sin offering. And so, really, the two goats together are one offering, representing two aspects of one offering. So the work of Christ on the cross was one work, but with two aspects. Would you agree with that? Very definitely, and I'm glad you brought that out because I neglected to mention it, but that is so true that it is one offering. And we see, as you say, that so clearly illustrated, you and I are privileged to see God's side and our side. And as I pointed out, God's side must come first. 
Aaron had to make propitiation as representing the Lord Jesus and then come out and act as, in, if you could put it that way, the one who carried out the substitution for the people of Israel. God's claims come first, then man's side of it. That's very nice. One more final thought on my on my part, Bill, I'd just like to mention is that in talking with different ones who have struggled with eternal security and of the assurance of salvation, I find that the truth of substitution has a powerful effect when we realize that it's not only a general work that Christ did on the cross, but a specific work, that each of my sins were laid on the Savior, and he bore those sins. There's such a, a clarity in that, that how could I be lost again if those sins were born? If his death on the cross for me was no different than his death on the cross as what we talked about last time, to satisfy God in general as to the whole question of sin, then it leaves room for doubt to come in with not understanding that each sin was confessed and borne by the Savior. Well, that is so good. And it brings out a very precious truth because we see in that same third chapter of Romans to which you referred, it says in verse 25, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. What about those Old Testament believers who lived before the cross when they died. Did they go to be with Christ? We know today through the New Testament revelations that that is so. It was so. But what happened to all their sins? They piled up more and more and more until the cross came. And then as you point out, every single sin of those Old Testament believers was dealt with at the cross. But then someone else might have a question and say, well, how could God lay my sins on the Lord Jesus when I was not even born yet, let alone having committed sin? The answer is that God could look down through the ages and see me, see you, Josh, and others who, whom he knew were going to be believers and he laid every single sin on the Lord Jesus. As you say, how could there possibly be a way that you and I could be lost again if all those sins had already been paid for? It's impossible. Join us next time on the Bible Truth Podcast, where we plan to address several questions that have been submitted. 
If you have any questions, please email us at info at BibleTruthPodcast.com.